Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Wolf. It's a new month. You know that? Right. It's, it's June. June. Yeah. yeah. Bringing this up numerous times on mic and off mic, we've talked about doing a series called, I always like a good number two, right? That's right. And we decided that, hey, this June's a good month. Let's yeah. do that. Why not? So here we are. First thing up we got for the month of June for number twos, we decided that Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. That is correct. And you know what? It's weird because we're dropping this episode on the four, 39th anniversary of uh, Khan. Didn't it come out uh, this day in 1982? No, it actually came out um, Friday. Oh, so tomorrow. It'll, it'll be, t- tomorrow will be the 39th. So, yeah. So yeah. yeah, whatever, man. So for all, all purposes, it's the 39th <laughs> anniversary today. Yes. And, and we're doing everybody, we're doing something everybody else is going to do next year. We're doing it now. <laughs> we're, just, we're just, we're, we're going to jump on the 40th it, anniversary. Yeah. Right. What's interesting about this movie as compared to the other movies, this is not necessarily a direct sequel to the Star Trek movie. It is not. Not even close. No, it's not at all. Right. This is more a sequel to an episode of the original series. The Space Seed. Space Seed. Emphasis on seed. <laughs> seed. <laughs> if you've seen the episode. Yes. You don't have to even be a Star Trek fan to appreciate this because of the way that the humor that's interjected into the whole movie. It's well balanced between the, the drama and the action set pieces and the character exchanges because they're all super funny. I mean, McCoy, like we talked about McCoy, man, he's like a one-liner machine man he's just spitting them out left and right he's like a bitter drunk arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> he's so funny we're not even not drunk you know what i mean like he's just you know he's like i love him dude it's it's at his crustiest yes bones is just it's a grumpy old man get off my lawn kind of guy and it's super funny totally go do something somewhere else my favorite part of the movie with bones is the moment where he's just getting all pissy with with Spock and he's just starts like he's like he's insulting him. He just oh. starts spitting all that stuff at him and Spock just looks at him with the raised eyebrow like I'm kind of bulletproof, dude. I don't feel anything you're saying. <laughs> right? You're talking about when uh when when they when they have the introduction of what you know when Kirk shows them the video of the Genesis machine yeah. and uh <laughs> and Spock says, Well the Matrix and he's like the Matrix I'm like oh. yeah, yeah right I thought like the, you can see the vein bulging <laughs> in the side of a McCoy's head. You know, so starts just giving him the the biz, and I'm like, man, they're like, what? If he didn't stop himself, I felt like he was one step away, saying, "You half breed, right?" <laughs> Rough, dude. I mean, in, dude, in the episode, uh, there's there's several times when he called him a half breed. It's so it's so bad. Literally, yeah, no, totally. Rathacon, I think, kind of was a nice rebound because you and this is where you and I differ. We we agree on some points, whatever I'm about to say, but we really haven't talked about it too much. Star Trek, the motion picture seemed like it was just two hours of money shots of look at our effects. I didn't, I, I, I thought it was boring. Oh, as I shit. love it. Yeah. It, we, yeah. We, we were, a, we're a definitely polar opposite on that movie. Yeah. I know everybody fucking hates it, but I, not me. It bores me to tears. I've tried to go back and watch it more than once. The fact that there's a, there's two oh. different, well, there's one, there's a shorter version, and a longer version. I'm like, why? <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I like the, I like the, and I like the longer version and I saw it on its 40th anniversary in 2019. I went and saw it in the theater and it was fucking fantastic. It never looked better <laughs> and bigger. It was great, man. I was like nine years old again. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. But yes, this movie 
nothing like that movie. No, this movie just, I mean, this movie moves along and it's, it's paced well and it's, yeah. it's directed, you know, it, it, it's, it has more in common with the episodes, sort of an update of the original episodes, right. as opposed to a sprawling reinvention of what Star Trek was, which was what Star Trek the most picture was because it'd been gone for so long. And, and Robert Wise did come on. And you mentioned the directing. This is directed by Nicholas Meyer, who just a few years before this, and we've talked about this movie here and there. We've talked about this movie so much together that I can't recall if we said it on mic or not. But in 1979, the same year that Star Trek The Motion Picture came out, Time After Time came out. Oh, yeah. That was Nicholas Meyer's second movie. And that one, you got Malcolm McDowell, David Warner, and Mary Steenburgen. And if you haven't seen it, I don't want to talk about it other than seeing just watch it. Because it's one of those movies you're like. Yeah, don't. Because it, it, it's, right? You can't say too much about it without ruining it. Yeah, yeah. And I do think it's interesting, though, with uh, David Warner, him using David Warner in Time After Time in 79, he would bring, Nicholas Meyer would bring David Warner to two more Star Trek movies in the future. Uh, one he directed and one he just produced. Undiscovered Country number six, which is probably my second favorite after Wrath of Khan. Mm. I know a lot of people get on board with Voyage Home because of the same. They basically took all the, the the fun aspects of the second movie, the humor, and they really just injected it in a big way with Voyage Home. But I I, I, kinda, I think Wrath and Khan is probably my, it's, it's definitely my favorite. And then I think if you look beyond just from a storytelling standpoint, I think Search for Spock is probably my second favorite. And then, and then Undiscovered Country is third. That's about right. Yeah, I love Search for Spock. And it's, again, it's a movie yeah. people kind of don't like. I don't know why people always get all bent out of shape about Search for Spock, too. <laughs> it's well, it's like it, it's if like you, if you took Wrath of Khan and you took Search for Spock and made it a limited series as one big story. That's how I look at it. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And also, it's got Christopher Lloyd in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's so you know, good. As the, as, I mean, dude, it's like Doc Brown became a Klingon for, you know, he, he traveled the wrong way in time. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny seeing how many people for a show that came from television, how many people were in these movies that were on television. Yeah. At right? that moment. I mean, Christopher Lloyd at that point, I think he was still doing taxi, right? I think it was just finishing up taxi. Yeah. I was like, yeah, maybe, yeah. The, maybe, the, maybe we had just finished taxi in 83 or something. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Right. Paul Winfield, Paul Winfield, another TV and movie guy. And we pointed out that we haven't said this yet on Mike that Ricardo Montalban, when they shot this, was right smack in the middle of the original Fantasy Island that Aaron Spelling produced. Oh my gosh, dude, that show was everything. Right. We talked about before we started on, we forgot on Mike how inexpensive this movie was, even for 81. $12 million is nothing when you figure the Star Wars movies were costing two, three times that. But you made a good point of like, there's so many TV people in here, they're probably on their TV rate, <laughs> or at least the bottom of the feature film barrier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah they're working on their hiatus. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you know, I don't mean that. I just mean that, you know, they're probably in between seasons and it's like, hey, you know, and right. everybody wanted to be in a Star Trek movie, right? Like, a few months before this, Shatner had returned to television with TJ Hooker, and along with that, brought Heather Locklear. At the time, Heather Locklear was still doing Dynasty. Yes. So she was doing two shows at the same time, which is pretty crazy. But she was one of those girls that just kind of like just kept going. But I remember TJ Hooker being like so stoked for it and like, oh my gosh, I get to see William Shatner every week and, and Heather Locklear's on this. And I, oh, and that Adrian Smith. And Adrian Smith. <laughs> And it's interesting. The reason why I kind of segued into that and mentioning that is because he may or may not be in one of our movies this month. 
He might be. He might be. Right. So lots of lots of TV people in here, but they're here for the big grandiose, bigger than life, 235 movie that it is. There are moments this weekend of, of 235. Kane Rusher, who is the DP, didn't do a lot of stuff, but I don't know. Did you ever find that some of the, the, the frame edges were a little bit much like the anamorphic lenses weren't handling the image very well? Oh, yeah. I, I felt like it was it, it looked like they were using they weren't using great lenses. They weren't using the lenses they really should have been using. I really felt that they were I don't know. So at times they're super crisp, but other times they're. You know, you get that the that that the drawback of actually using uh, uh, anamorphic and get that those blurred and frayed edges, but to the point where maybe the and the image wasn't framed right. That's probably why it was so noticeable. There was too much motion going on in those moments where I noticed the the, the image was kind of degraded on the sides. Usually, but you kind of come to the territory of doing anamorphic, you know. But with this, I kind of felt that distortion was a little more prevalent in, in some scenes. To the point where I'm like, whoa, I noticed it. I usually don't. So we talked about the, the money aspect too a little bit. Just to, just to throw that out there and get it out of the way and talk about the movie some more. But the breakdown I was reading that they used a lot of the sets and miniatures from the previous movie and other effects footage and stuff because they had so much left over from. And that's the thing too. We talked about the Star Trek The Motion Picture being having a longer cut than the theatrical version. And I think some of that footage was used in this, and then that the later on, put it in the director's cut or whatever the officially were calling it. Right. And I, that's one of the reasons why they're able to save so much cost. And that's why the Star Wars movies are so much more. It's because of the effects and the time it takes to do everything. They cut a lot of those costs by utilizing this stuff, which is great. Right. Plus, I feel like Harrison Ford buys you Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Sulu, Chekhov, and O'Hara. Right. His salary <laughs> buys off. Exactly. Especially in 83, yeah, so when, 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 when Jedi comes around in 83, most certainly, because at that point, you know, right. he's, he's, he's got two franchises. He's, he's popping Jones. up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's starting to, and soon after that, he started branching out and doing other things. He's like, he's like the, he's, he's Bill Shatner, man. He's just running a gamut. I'm, I'm everybody. I'm everything. And yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but it's interesting that it's John book. <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie and we are going to talk about some things that, that, um, that are spoilers to, uh, to a point, but if you know what the movie's called after this, then you kind of, I'm not, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. What's interesting is when Spock does what he does in this and it cost him his life. Right. Right. They made a bunch of changes because the test audience didn't dig it. Oh. They had a problem with it. You think? <laughs> and Nicholas Meyer objected to the changes. Remember, when we, we, you and I were talking about, I'm like, I wonder if Nicholas Meyer decided to set, hey, let's modify this so we can set up Search for Spock. Set up the camera in my office. I'm going to shoot. Get me, <laughs> get me Leonard McCoy and Spock and bring the camera to my office. That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And a shower door and put a light behind it. <laughs> yes. Bring a deflector too. Just a piece of white foam. That's all we need. It'll work. I'm reading this right now. It says Leonard Nimoy had not intended to have a role in the sequel, but was enticed back on the promise that his character would be given a dramatic death scene. How fucking funny is that? I, so I guess that's how do you think they got him back in the third one? They said, uh, look, did you could direct it? <laughs> you want to direct it? It is one of the best ones because it's definitely directed. 
and he doesn't have to be in it very much. <laughs> he's, he's only in it for the last right. scene, right? Because he's not right. He's yeah, he's in three quarters of the movie. Spock is you know baby, infant, yeah. toddler, preteen, and teen, <laughs> angry teenager, <laughs> and then full grown Spock. When you when you get to that point with the with, when he's teenage Spock and he's throwing a tantrum, he's just being a teenager. My dad used to always just give me yeah. some shit. And he goes, "I know what that's like." <laughs> Shut up, Dad. Yeah, my dad too. He's like, "Oh, well, that's familiar. <laughs> Seen that." So the, the the connection to the original episode is that Khan is a you know he's just the villain, so he's trying to take over the Enterprise and fuck people over because of being banned from Earth himself three hundred years before this. The whole episode ends with Kirk and the rest of the Enterprise just shoving him in the Botany Bay uh, escape uh, shuttle and shoving him down to City Alpha 5 just to let him rot. Right. Well, not as I let him rot, but, you know. I mean, is there a shittier place to put them in the universe? <laughs> the setup is that they didn't mean to put him. They, they, they thought that the, they could still live there. They thought that the, the it was an it was a wasn't inhabitable like it is when we discover it in 15 years later. And that's when we get Paul Winfield and Walter Koenig, right? And the two of them go down to check out the place. And it's, it's like you, it's a, it's a windstorm, Sandy can't see a damn thing. It's terrible. Right. And this is where we discover that Khan is still alive with his off with all of his offspring. <laughs> You know, what's crazy, man, is when they're coming through, right? They're coming through that first dust storm and they step in and it stop. And I was waiting for them to see like some World War II fighter planes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they're inside this. I'm like, where the fuck are they at? And then Chekhov's starts freaking out immediately. You know, he sees that Botany Bay tag. And he's like, I remember being a kid and I was like, why am I supposed to know this? Because I hadn't seen or, you know, because when you're a kid before there was home video, they would, when these were in syndication, when we were kids, they would run them in no order. So right. you never, you know, I never saw them sequential. So I probably had never seen Space Seed. So I, I didn't even realize until I got to the point in the movie where they're given the backstory that, you know, oh, this was a thing. And right. then, then it became a big thing when home video came out. I remember there was a whole release of the video cassette by itself, a 60 minute <laughs> or a 40, 52 minute version of Space Seed. Right. I remember the box cover. I'm not sure. Is that the space? It's like when he find when they, when when Chekhov and Captain Terrell walk into that thing, is that a like a building and stuff that was built there, or is that the ship? Like the ship, they just set the ship down, and you guys are gonna have to live in and out of this ship. I, it's so weird because it, they don't spend much time there because they don't need to. But I think it looks like a shuttle, and I think that's probably part of that cheating that they were talking about. You know, we were, we were mentioning earlier, but the, right. you know, they, I think they just took an old shuttle and doctored it all up. And I mean, what do you really see before that? You know, they hide everything with dust storms. That's all probably all just, you know, optical yeah. effects, you know? Right. Yeah. And they just shovel and shovel. And I think it's just an old, for all, from what I can tell, it's only 15 years before that. I mean, even if it was a build, how long would that have taken? Sure. You know? Yeah, I mean, like it's like it's you know it's like when you see an old western, right? You know, you're just like you're just recycling that saloon from one western to the next. So hey, just get that shuttle. You know, we'll we'll smoke it out. We'll change some of the stuff in it. Nobody's gonna remember this from you know. It was probably it was probably sitting on the Paramount lot, <laughs> right? In the scene dock. And they're like, hey, just take that. Yeah, this will work. Yeah, it's, it's a build, so you can break away walls and so you get the camera and yeah. get the rigs in there. Sure. Sure. And you get all those, because you got to get everybody in there. Right. Oh, but they didn't get everybody in there. Right. Cause only two people went in there. 
are Terrell and Chekhov because what they did is they they went in and then when they come out, there's Khan and his minions, you know, standing there like uh, the kids in Thunderdome <laughs> when they come out. And it's like, but I mean, they all, yeah. How many do they actually stick inside the thing though? They all come in. Right. I mean, they do. That's, that's to, to pull the walls. So I guess, yes, they do. But when we first discover them, they're outside. Yeah. That's where we get, we, we see cons on Matt, the unmasking of con, the big dramatic moment, <laughs> you know, going, you know, we, we talked about, you know, just the sort of uh, roughly just, you know, run through the cast, but there, you know, there's a lot of uh, people sort of hidden in there from, you know, they're kind of, we associate with the genre anyway, outside of the normal cast. Right. You know, Paul Winfield, like we mentioned a few minutes ago, but Ike Eisenman shows up. Who we, we mentioned Ike Eisenman. Oh, I guess during the dark Disney days, yep. right? From uh, from his roles as uh, Tony from the Witch Mountain movies. Mm-hmm. Kirstie Alley, man, in a like, is, was this Kirstie Alley's uh, first sort of real big? I mean, this was probably the biggest thing she'd done. Cheers. She, she hadn't replaced Shelley Long on Cheers yet. And I don't think I'd seen her or anything except for maybe an episode of Match Game or The Dating Game, one of those yeah, game no, shows. Yeah, and she definitely has, she has an introducing credit in this too. Right. So, I think this is her first thing, period. And not like a major network show or a major theatrical release, that kind of thing. And uh, things being what they are, her character would come back, but she wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, Savick comes back in the, in the direct, se- you know, the, the direct sequel. Uh, but it's not Kirstie Alley. And really, you know, it's funny, man, is when I was a kid, don't think I noticed. I didn't either. I nope. didn't remember it until I watched them again recently. And I put, you know, I went right from two to three and I was like, hey, whoa, wait, because I just assumed it wasn't Savic, but I was like, of course it is because this movie takes place directly after that. And I was like, turns out negotiations didn't go well after the over negotiation, under negotiation. Or they just said, yeah, things aren't, maybe we just go another way. Put the ears on somebody else. On, on, on that same tip, the Judson Scott is in this and he plays Khan's right-hand man. He's uncredited in this movie. He has a lots of dialogue in it too, like a lot. Yeah. I was doing a little research and I found out that his agent was trying to get him higher, high billing on the movie because of how much he's in the movie and how much he speaks. But that whole plan backfired and he, and he wound up with no credit at all. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, thanks, man. That's rough, right? Yeah, totally. Thanks for looking out for me. Yeah. And he's really good in it too. He's really good in it. We also discovered recently that he's the lawyer in the original Blade movie with Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Directed by Stephen Norrington. What was interesting about his role in this, he became really good friends with Ricardo Montalban and they were friends until Ricardo passed away in, in 2009. So much so that when Montalban got a Lifetime Achievement Award, he was the presenter for it. I thought that was kind of cool. That's cool, man. But Justin Scott went on to do a bunch of stuff in Star Trek land. He was in Next Generation. He was in Voyager. Yeah. I think he was in an episode. I think it was maybe one or two episodes of the X-Files too, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, he did a lot of television. He did when Mission Impossible was trying to come back in in the, in the late '80s before they started making the feature films. And of course, like I said, mentioned Blade being the, the, the his. I mean, it was funny because as soon as I found that out, I'm like, I can't not see his face now. But right. but with him, just I don't know about you, but because of Wrath of Khan, those long blonde locks are only way I see the guy. Yeah, I don't see him any other way. It's funny. I'm going to admit <laughs> this right now, but. To me, he's most familiar. I'm most familiar with that face outside of Khan with Charmed. 
The original Charmed, that is. He played uh, the lead singer of a band in The Greatest American Hero. And I always remember that because of like, it's like the dueling blonde locks, you know, between him and William Cat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. He was uh, also, he was on an episode of TJ Hooker. And uh, he was also in a fantastic movie with Armando Sante, I, the Jury. Also in 1982. So, I mean, the guy was busy and he was, you know, I mean, he worked a ton, especially between 80 and 85. So he was all over the place. So that's so weird, man, that they would like, um, his agent must have really fucked him. <laughs> well, hopefully it was his last, last time. No, was his like, agent, that's the last time you're negotiating for me, man. <laughs> Here it is now, you know, 39 years later. And I, and I was like, going, wow, I didn't, I didn't know the story. Yeah, and, no, me neither. And, and I was surprised not to see his name in there. I'm like, uncredited? What the fuck's that about? People that are uncred- listed as uncredited that are standing in the background, you know, just extras that, that put themselves on IMDb as being in the movie. They're not really. They're there, sure, but they're not really Right, the they cross frame. Like, they do, they do a wipe. It makes me curious, though, man. It's not a SAG faux pas, dude. You know, isn't that something he could have, like... I think now it probably couldn't happen. I mean, I'm sure, you know, but who knows what 40 years ago. I don't, you know, SAG with SAG is strong with, you know, who knows, man. Maybe there was, you know, I feel like there's definitely a power shift between, you know, studios and what actors... It was probably still a little bit of still, we're still in that studio system where like if the studio's like, well, fuck it, we're taking your name off the movie. What are you going to do about it? Right. You know, here's your money. So, something like pay. that. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm guessing I wasn't, it was 12. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> Come on now. I'm just saying, you know, it, it would make sense. Right. I mean, I, that's the only way I, that's the only thing I could think of is that just the SAG didn't have the kind of bargaining power and nor did actors at that point that, you know, the studio was still kind of like, nah, yeah, you want to play hardball? Okay. Well, how, how is this for fucking hardball? We're not even going to sit you on the bench, go to the shower with your name. <laughs> You're done. So funny. Oh man. This movie is so much fun. I mean, and everybody has their moment, right? Mm-hmm. Scotty has his moment. Bones has many moments. Uh, Sulu gets a moment. Chekhov gets his redemption. And I love the redemption moment where Chekhov comes in and he asks if they need any help. And Kirk doesn't even look at him. He's like, assume the hell. <laughs> he just looks, yeah, and, he just doesn't even look at right? him. Just get where you're supposed to be, dude. You know where you're supposed to be. <laughs> Sit down. Uh, but yeah, 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 we get, you know, everybody gets their moment and it, it it's great. I, it makes me laugh. Like it, when you've watched all the, the the original six movies, they're all structured similarly the same, except for the one wild card being five, the final frontier, because that, that one is just right. totally bad shit. That's like, it almost feels like, yeah. uh, like the airplane of Star Trek movies. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly enough, I don't hate it. It does have its merits for me. It, it, it's funny as shit. There's some decent effects and there's also some real hilarious shit. This one I feel like is the closest in spirit to, I mean, th- this by is by far probably the most fan friendly one. Uh, I mean, I still like the first one. I, I don't hate it, but I mean, I would still probably say this is my favorite of the Star Trek movies because it's the one that you can watch over and over and over and it, the pacing is great, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of great moments in this classic Star Trek stuff. And I was wondering if we're going to make it through the episode without one of us saying the most famous line in the fucking movie. And we haven't said it so far. One name Yon Khan. <laughs> yeah, dude, come on. That's like, that would sound like, if you post, I guarantee if you go on Instagram and you post a picture of Star Trek 2, anything, some asshole's going to go, Khan! 
on. Like you've never seen the fucking movie. That's going to, and they're going to throw up like, you know, fist bumps or thumbs up. And, and it's just like, it's just going to happen. It, it can't not happen. I mean, it's the most famous thing in the movie, right? If someone said Wrath of Khan to you, the first thing you would say is Khan. <laughs> My favorite moment of the movie though, of the entire movie. And that's, yes, I agree that that's probably the most famous line. My favorite moment is when Khan comes back at Chekhov and says, this is City Alpha 5. And then he squints. <laughs> Dude. Yes. Ricardo, who's kind of notorious for overacting, but I think his time on Fantasy Island kind of allowed him to hone in and just give bite-sized deliveries and it just works better. Oh, yes. It's, he's so much better in this. If you see him anything previous, even the early episodes of Fantasy Island, he's a little bit, Dude. he's a little overdramatic. But but when you fast forward to like, say, Naked Gun, right? Right. Then you have a, then, then he's kind of back to what you ex- expect from him. It's a little, you know, overdrawn. And, but I think that was kind of, I think they wanted well, him to be that way. That's the style of the naked gun thing. I mean, yeah. All, yeah. all for me, the, my favorite parts of the movie are anytime he is on the monitor berating Kirk, this deceiving hatred and sarcasm and superior, just, this is oozing out of every pore on his body. <laughs> His deliveries are so good, man. When you're seeing those wide shots of him on the Reliant talking to him on the screen, I love how it feels like the old show. Yes. The way it looks, the way it, it looks, it looks intentionally superimposed in the shot like it's the old show. Like it's like it's a static image. You know, it's some still shot that they pulled from from film. And they did the cutout and they had him. It doesn't feel out of place. It's just familiar. And it's because if you see like when they bring up the, the screen the rest of the time and it's other things, even in the first movie and the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, it doesn't look like that. No. It's intentionally made to remind you of the original episode. Yeah. I thought that was really clever. Also, the this the, I would say the designs of the two ships are, the, this is the best version of the Enterprise in all the movies. And, and the Reliant, dude. The Reliant is fucking cool as shit. Yeah. The sea, like dude, you, when you we mentioned get that earlier. Shot. Right. No, totally. <laughs> I mean, it's so damn good. Yeah. I love the whole Genesis aspect to it. That whole sequence of the planet regenerating at the end. Although I do have some, I do have a question when we get there. I, I have to ask a question because I, I didn't really think about it until this time, particularly. And then I was like, hmm, now that's something I'm going to have to bring up. But I'm going to give you the weirdest scene and the, and the weirdest moment in this movie is after after the Enterprise is taking damage from the Reliant, right? When Khan kind of bushwhacks him out of nowhere, there's the engine room sequence where it all goes, you know, everything goes bad and you see, you know, people running around, explosions. Cut to Scotty standing on the bridge of the Enterprise holding burned Ike Eisenman. Why in the fuck Dude. did he bring him to the fucking, why did he bring him to the bridge and not directly to sickbay? Yeah, I just I'm like what? I was like, if I was Kirk, I'd be Scotty. What the fuck are you doing standing in here? And what is that dude doing bleeding all over the bridge? And I know the whole point of it, but still, it's just kind of like, how far are we as engineering again? Yes, and and, and, and <laughs> do you think? Don't you think the sick bay was probably on the way to the bridge? 
You mean perhaps he could have saved that kid's life had Scotty not been overly emotional and needed to be in front of the camera and drag that kid all the way up to the bridge. I got to think there's more than one. Yeah, there's more than one sick bay, right? Right, right. You've got the main hospital, but you probably got a bunch of sure. urgent care somewhere in the Absolutely, bush. dude. What if someone needs an eyewash station, you know, fuck, um, you know, down there in the quarters or, um, you know. But the other thing too is, uh, did you notice how big sick bay was? Yeah. Like if you're familiar with that, with the show, dude, there's like usually like two beds tops in sick bay. There's like 30. Right. That was again, then repurposing something from somewhere yeah, well, and just doctoring it up to make it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was just funny. All I kept thinking about too is like even more so now when I see poor Jimmy Doohan having to hold this guy, I'm like going, "Come on, dude, I can't hold him forever." Because right, Jimmy Doohan's like 63 years old at that at that moment. <laughs> him and McCoy are, you know, they're, like a- they're 10, 12 years older than everybody else. This door needs to open faster. Whoa, come on, guys! <laughs> How long do I have to hold him here? Can we get this in one? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I guess just, and he's fully limp dude. Cause I would try to, uh, maybe, does he holding on to his arm or in his neck or something like that no. to kind of make it easier for, for nope. doing him? But no, he's not. He's he is like, not dude. He, and he's totally method acting the shit out of it. Like I'm dead weight. Hold me old man. So bad. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a weird visual too, because he's literally standing behind everybody and it's a good three seconds before anybody acknowledges him. He's just standing there. With a dead kid or a almost dead kid. Then, of course, they all go to sick bay. And I'm just like, well, don't you think you could have just taken him there? Perhaps, you know, maybe that's a, that happens during the battle sequences. Why, why is McCoy on the bridge? Right. I brought him here because McCoy was here. What the fuck are you doing here? You know, McCoy ends up going with, with Savick and Kirk and to, to go on, on to the, what the hell is the damn? Uh, Regulon 5. So they go on there and I'm like, wait. I don't think they explain it. I understand why McCoy's going, but sure. they don't explain it. No, they don't explain it. And, and who's in charge? Nurse Chapel? Because I didn't even see Nurse Chapel. Yeah. <laughs> She's not even on the fucking ship anymore. I know. The hell's that about? I don't know, man. I understand it. And that's another thing, too, is like, why couldn't they have sent somebody else? Again, just like we talked about, there's urgent cares, and then there's the, and then there's the main hospital. Right. Why weren't they sending more people? Yeah. I mean, and dude, where are the red shirts? Yeah. There's only one red shirt in the whole thing. Everybody. And he's carrying Ike. Yes. Right. <laughs> Just him. And he's wearing a white, like uh diving suit. Speaking of Ike, there's something that happens in this movie in sick Bay that just gets me every fucking time is when Ike's hand pulls away. Oh yeah. After he says, it's the order given captain. The order's given son. And, and just, it's yeah, dude, I'm sorry, man. You, you don't get teared up at that moment, dude. It's like, it's rough. It's rough. And then it's just to oh. see his bloody handprint on his, on his, yes. Shit. For the rest of the movie. And, and dude, there, there's several, uh, tear jerking moments in this movie. Not, you know, the end being the, the of course, you know, dude. if you're not tearing up, you know, in the last 10 minutes of the movie, why are you here? I was cracking up with that when I was watching this time. When Spock is saying all those lines that he says at the end of the movie, when he's saying them exactly the same way, I'm like going, oh, come on, Spock, you're better than that. Stop repeating yourself. Right? <laughs> come on. Uh, I would be remiss not to point out the amazing James Horner score. Oh, dude, this. obviously the score really, especially during those battles, he goes, good God. No, oh, man. It really, because that's a thing that, the you know, I'm not going to get into the whole Star Trek versus Star Wars debate. But there's one thing that both sides can concede on. Even though you can be one side or the other, you can see the fact that most of the battle sequences that you see 
in in any of the Star Trek movies are more in line with a battleship always versus yes. battleship kind mm-hmm. of thing, um, as opposed to dog small dog fights. Right. And and Lucas has always said that about Star Wars. It was always about mimicking dog fights. World War Two, yeah, exactly. So that Horner score really just sells. I mean, and like we talked about before, that moment where the Reliant sails over the hub of, of the Enterprise, and that's that cue, man. Ugh, it's just, come on, dude, 39 years of watching that movie, and that cue still just hits perfectly. Yeah, man. Same way Horner scores. What? He has a bunch of cues that hit perfectly in Aliens also. It's just. Ooh. There's the other one in the beginning of this movie where we first see the three Klingon ships during the Kobayashi Maru sequence, right? When we first see Savick and she's sitting in the captain's chair and she's looking at the monitor and the three Klingon ships are coming at her and and it hits that music, which if I'm not mistaken is the, it's the, it's the same music cue from Star Trek, the motion picture that we see at the beginning when we see the first Klingon ships when they're attacked by Vidra. Ah, I would have to go back and watch it again. Yeah. But it's just, a, it's a thing that Star Trek has always done super well. And it's funny because it's uh majestic versus kinetic Star Wars. It's more kinetic. It's like, you know, World War II dogfights, you know, like the battle of Britain, that, that kind of chaotic pace, as opposed to this, which is like battleships and the music, it's a different pace and it just sort of wells there. And it's like, it's one of the things that the Star Trek movies, all of them, even part five <laughs> do really well is that, you know, the music cues are always spot on. And if this doesn't, and dude, this doesn't take you back to being 12 years old when that fucking, when it flies, when the Reliant flies over the Enterprise uh, as the Enterprise is wounded and we're, you know, and, and now they've, they've sort of bought some time with their, with their little bit of trickery, man, that is, but it, it, it's the visual and the, in the, in the auditory cue at the same time. I mean, dude, like it just takes you back to being 12. Yeah. Like you're talking about before, the pacing in the movie, the score, everything just works together. And then I think that's probably why it's such a standout movie amongst the movie series is that it does everything right. It does everything that they hadn't done before and they tried to do since. They've always tried to recreate that. The closest I think they've gotten to recreating that is probably, I think Undiscovered Country is the closest to getting that balance. I don't think it's as as successful, but there's the one that gets the closest to doing the balance because- Three is just a, like we sound talked about, three is a very straight ahead, yep. long form Star Trek. And the fourth one is they go for the comedy with the, right. the whole, uh, fish out of water situation that they put the, the Well, the in. fourth one is a, is, a, is a throwback again to the original series. Like when, you know, like day on the, or city on the edge of tomorrow, right? When they like travel right. back to the thirties, but now they're in the eighties. And of course it was, it was more timely with what was going on in the eighties, but Four again was, you know, those two are throwbacks. And then five is, five is whatever. Well, you know, five is what it is. Five is what it is. Uh, Yeah. So I'd say six has the most in common with Khan for sure. Pacing. Yeah. And you you get Kurt Wood Smith as a, as a Romulan. (laughs) And you get Christopher Plummer as the Klingon chancellor lawyer, you know, and and he, he's doing his best. uh, You know, he's the most Khan character in any of the other movies. Right. Yeah. As far as villains go, I mean, he's big, he's, it's the whole Shakespearean, you know, he, you know, he's, he's, he's Khan's Vulcan cousin, if you will. Yeah. That's fun. Cause now Sulu has been finally made a captain. Right. And he's a captain of the Excelsior and that Excelsior ship, dude, that Excelsior ship was so badass. Yeah. Yeah, man. Totally. Yeah. 
And the reason why we're kind of leaning on the movies that came out after we're talking about them after they came out, just because of how this movie's kind of set pace and kind of set a standard for the features. Yeah, absolutely, man. And they try to do that a little bit with with Next Generation also. They try to do mimic that a whole bunch too. And I think they didn't do they didn't do a terrible job. I found myself more fond of the Next Generation feature films than I was of the TV. Oh, show. me too, hundred percent. I didn't. I didn't the, sh- the TV show I never cared for. The, the fe- some of the features I really like. Some of them are okay. Um, they're a little too much, like the TV show, like the first one. Right. It's a mixed bag there, but, uh, you know, I mean, con man is this, this, you know, for our, Hey, how about a good number two? <laughs> this is a good number two. The weird thing I was going to say earlier, and I, follow me here. So after Spock has given his life, right. To fucking flip the power back and con has been kind of defeated and he's set the Genesis on, uh, to self destruct. And they're trying to, they're trying to get away on impulse power as Scotty's trying to pull it together. We have, you know, 30 seconds, you know, that, that whole thing. Right. right. They punch it into fucking light speed. Right. Mm-hmm. Moments before it blows up. Okay. So now they're far enough away. So I'm assuming the blast happens, right? Fucking it, fucking mushrooms, whatever you want to call it. Now they're stopped somewhere. And then they shoot Spock out into space. Aren't they far enough away that Spock wouldn't land on Genesis? On the planet? On Regulon? <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, you jump into fucking hyperspace and you come out where just out, just out of the, conveniently out of the range of the blast? I'm just asking because I never thought about it before until now. And then I'm like, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, what did they do? Shoot him at light speed back toward where it came come from? <laughs> That's just my question. Does, does it make sense to you? No. And, and just I've never thought about it, it before. I've never thought about it before. <laughs> Me neither. I had never thought about it before. And I've seen the movie. I don't know how many times, but I was just like, wait right. a second. That's weird. <laughs> That will then, but that Oops. lead that leads me to believe it was one of those things we like we had talked about. Like there wasn't supposed to be a three directly after, and they yeah yeah I don't know man, and it was just one of the bases that they just thought they didn't need to cover. And it only took me thirty nine years to fucking catch it. So hey, I mean now when you when the next time you watch it, just think about that and you're just like oh, okay, or maybe I just won't worry about it. But I had to bring it up because it was just like it was like we say. The point of this, right? We do this. You, sometimes you, in a good movie, you'll notice something different every time you watch it, no matter how many times you watch it. And this time, that's what I noticed. I gotta think there's there's gonna be some major Star Trek nerd out there that's like took that apart. I'm sure somewhere. You I know. mean, it, I mean, like I said, I never thought about it before until this time. And then I was like, oh shit. Well, fuck. And then I was like, well, I guess if they didn't, if he didn't get back there, then the there's not the rest of the movies don't happen because there's no Spock. There's no search for Spock because Spock's just floating around in space. <laughs> and then, you know, if there are any Star Trek movies after that, there's no Spock in them. There's just Savick played by a parade of people <laughs> who no one would notice. There you go. Hey, there it is, man. A, a good number two. And I, and even though this is more tied to the TV series as the, if you want to call it the original, in a lot of ways, this you can make the comparison between Alien and Aliens and Star Trek The Motion Picture and this as well. Correct. They take familiar elements and then say, all right, well, we're going to amp it up and add some action to it and good to go. Yeah. And ironically, 
<laughs> Alien Saga. It's a great comparable for the subsequent sequels too. Correct. Uh, I would say this, uh, just if you, and if you really, if you want to do this, you can, because uh, both things are on Hulu right now. You can actually watch, I did this, you can watch the episode of Space Seed and then go right into Khan because they're, you know, you could, they're right down Hulu together. So you could watch the episode and then go right into the movie. Currently it's on Hulu and on Prime. Right. Like we noted recently, it seems like Hulu's encode isn't necessarily better. It just, it's presented better. I think, I think there's an extra little yep. dumbing down of their uh, image quality. They're both in proper aspect ratio, which is all you need to know. And if you don't have Hulu already, well, you've, I'm sure you've got Prime. So there you go. Or vice versa. Anyway, so if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow the show on Twitter at Karate Pod, or you can follow Corey on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Culp. Or you can support the show on Patreon. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Again, as always, that's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Tom Cody on Letterboxd or worst of times, best of times. <laughs> no, just Tom Cody. Tom Cody. Cody.